21. It's a rather short one, eight verses. You can follow along as I read. The psalmist writes, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. He's the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going both now and forevermore. Let's uh, let's pray together, shall we? Lord, thank you for this song that we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. As uh, the Apostle Peter says in his uh, sermon in Acts 4, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. So we thank you for Jesus. Uh, thank you for the cross. Uh, thank you for his um, sacrifice that paid our sin debt. And so we uh, praise you and worship you this morning. Lord, we thank you for Drew and Christine and their ministry in Scotland. And thank you that we can um, be partners with them in uh, taking the, the good news of the gospel um, across the ocean to a place that desperately needs to know about Jesus. So um, bless them as they continue their ministry. And may they sense um, the love and support and prayers of this church family. And now, Lord, as we look into your word, we pray that you would open up our uh, hearts and minds to what you have for us today. Uh, may we say with uh, Samuel, speak, Lord, your servant is listening, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We have been looking at the life of David, and uh, so we're going to put it on uh, fast forward here this morning uh, and look at 1 Samuel chapter 20. But what I want to do is give us a little review, kind of to bring us up to speed, So, uh, and then we'll jump into chapter 20. So the life of David, uh, we began looking at this five or six weeks ago in 1 Samuel 15 and 16, and discovered, remember, that Saul's been rejected as king. Samuel is sent to a place called Bethlehem. The next king of Israel's there. And it's in Jesse's family. And remember the story that Jesse has eight sons. Seven of them pass before Samuel. And God says to Samuel, not one of those is going to be the next king. And he finally, uh, Samuel asks Jesse, do you have any other sons? And Samuel says, yep. Yeah. Uh, or Jesse says, yes, one more. Is the, the youngest boy, he's out in the field watching the sheep, and Samuel says, go get him, and they bring him, and uh, God says to uh, Samuel, this is the one. God doesn't look on the outward appearance, doesn't he, but he looks on our heart. So God's not that concerned about what we're wearing today. What he's concerned about is where our heart is today. And uh, and so here's David, he's a teenager, and he's anointed as the next king of Israel, and it was really about 13 years before he actually became the king. So there's a long time period between when he was anointed and when he officially uh, became the next king of Israel, and, and most would say became the greatest king in all of Israel. Well, then in chapter 17, we looked at David and Goliath, and you know that story, and we looked at some principles from there, and here's young David who's bringing a lunch to his brothers, and uh, for 40 days, 
uh, in the morning and in the evening, Goliath has issued this challenge. The whole uh, army of Israel says Saul and all the army of Israel were afraid. They were shaking in their boots. And along comes David and he says, why is this guy defying the name of the Lord? And he grabs his five stones in his sling and he, he takes down Goliath. And then all of a sudden, that same army that was afraid and shaking in their boots all of a sudden now has courage and they follow the Philistines and defeat them. One of the principles we looked at is that both fear and faith are courageous. Uh, so if we're afraid, others become afraid, especially as if you're in a leadership position, whether it's in your home or in the business world or in the church. Fear and faith are contagious. And it was David's contagious faith that uh, in, infused into the army of Israel and they defeated the Philistines. Well, then we looked a couple weeks ago at, um, I think it was last Sunday, First Samuel 18 and 19, and we looked at David's relationship with God, with Jonathan, and with Saul. Uh, we discovered that the key to David's success in life was that God's hand was on him. God's hand was on David in a special way, and the Spirit of God, it says, departed from Saul and came upon David. First uh, Samuel eighteen fourteen. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. And so David had this uh, special relationship with God, where God's presence and power was on him. And then we looked at David's relationship to Jonathan. Uh, this this passage in Scripture that says David and Jonathan were like one in spirit. Uh, they would be today in the social media world, BFF, best friends forever. And they had this covenant together. And, and in First Samuel um, 18, uh, they make this covenant and Jonathan takes off his robe, his tunic, his sword, his bow and his belt. And he gives it to David to seal their friendship. And so Jonathan and David have this special friendship. But then we looked at David's relationship with King Saul. And uh, King Saul became incredibly jealous of David, especially after some of David's great military um, expeditions and successes that he had. And all of a sudden, the, the, the song in Israel is that Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And Saul becomes incredibly uh, jealous. And here's, a, here's an interesting verse in Scripture. It says that an evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul. We talked about that just a little bit last week. And now all of a sudden, Saul uh, goes into this uh, almost manacle state and depressive state. And, and David's coming in to play his harp to kind of encourage Saul and we read there that, the, that that Saul picks up his spear and flings it at David, and David eludes that twice. And in chapters 18 and 19, Saul tries to kill David five times. He throws spears at him. He sends him out into the forefront of the battle of the Philistines and said, well, maybe the Philistines will take care of David and kill him. He makes him very vulnerable. And then he sends his soldiers after him. And five times David, uh, or Saul tries to kill David. Well, that's the background, and that brings us to 1 Samuel chapter uh, 20. 
And uh, so we're going to continue to look at uh, the life of David this morning. And uh, this uh, chapter 20 is a narrative. Um, it's, it's kind of a long story. And so um, I may read a little more scripture this morning than I usually do, but it's simply because this chapter 20 is telling a story and we want to kind of get the, the full impact of the story. So we're going to start out with a conversation between Jonathan and David. The conversation between Jonathan and David. Now remember, Saul's tried to kill David five times, and of course Jonathan is is uh, King Saul's son. So let's pick it up in verse, verse 1. Then David fled from Naoth at Ramah, uh, where Samuel was, and went to Jonathan. So David's in crisis mode. I find it interesting, where does he turn? He, he doesn't go back to his family at Bethlehem, which he could have gone to. No, he... He seeks out his best friend, Jonathan. And David has all sorts of questions, and he's got to be incredibly frustrated. And he's asking Jonathan, um, what have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he's trying to kill me? Why is your father trying to kill me? Jonathan's response, never. You are not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything great or small without letting me know. Why would he hide this from me? It isn't so. But David took an oath and said, your father knows very well that I found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives as you live, there is only a step between me and death. David says, you know, I'm this far away from from dying. Notice how Jonathan responds in verse 4. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. So Jonathan's saying, well, tell tell me, what's your idea? What what can we do here? What's the plan? And David has a plan. And and here here it is, verses 5 through 7. Look, tomorrow is the new moon feast. The new moon feast was a feast that marked the beginning of each month. And the Israelites would bring offerings to God and, and, and have a, a celebration. And so the new moon feast was, was coming up on the next day. David says, I'm supposed to dine with the king. But let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. If your father misses me at all, tell him, David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because an annual sacrifice is made there for his whole clan. If he says, very well, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he is determined to harm me. And so David's trying to find out for Jonathan is is your father still trying to kill me? Is it safe for me to be around him? Because I'm supposed to be at this new moon festival, and um, if if he's still trying to kill me, then um, I'm not going to show up. And so that was the conversation that Jonathan and David had. And so they come up with a little bit of a further plan. Uh, and so... Uh, Jonathan says, I will let you know uh, where my dad is at. I'm going to kind of take take the temperature of where my dad's attitude is toward you, and I will let you know. And David says, well, how are you going to let me know? And so we find that they make a covenant together. And that's uh, in verses 10 through 17. There's a covenant between Jonathan and, <clears throat> and David. 
And uh, Jonathan tells David in verse 12, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I will surely sound out my father by this time tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed toward me or toward you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. And then in verse 16, they make a, a covenant together. This is the second covenant that they've made. So Jonathan made a, a covenant, a promise with the house of David, saying, may the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirmed his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. Uh, and, and in verse 15, I should have read that as well. Jonathan's telling David, uh, do not ever cut off your kindness from my family. Not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from off the face of the earth. David, when, when you're king of Israel, will you still be kind to me? Will you still show kindness to my family? Because I know that you are the Lord's anointed one. And, and so they make this uh, covenant and a reaffirmation of the covenant. But then here's their plan. And it's a long section of scripture, so we won't take time to read the whole thing. But it's the secret communication between Jonathan and David. And so uh, Jonathan has uh, D- uh, David go out in the in the field, and uh, verse eighteen, uh, they come up with this plan: uh, the day after tomorrow, after the new moon feast, after Jonathan figures out is is my father still wanting to murder David. He says, I want you to wait by the stone Ezel, verse 19 at the end. I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I were shooting at a target. Then I will send a boy, his helper, and say, go find the arrows. If I say to him, look, the arrows are on this side of you, bring them here, then come, because as surely as the Lord lives, you are safe, there is no danger. And so I'm going to shoot three arrows, you're going to be standing out there, and if and if I say... Um, the arrows are on this side of you. Bring them to me. That's code word for it's safe to be in the presence of my father Saul. But, he goes on to say, but if I say to the boy, look, the arrows are beyond you, then you must go because the Lord has sent you away. And so that was the strategy, to shoot the three arrows And if I say the arrows are to the side, bring them to me, that means safe. If I say to the boy, the arrows are beyond you, go further, that's code word for you better not get close to King Saul. And so that's how this uh, this plays out. And uh, we discover that um, the code word was it's not safe. Uh, the arrows are shot. Uh, Jonathan tells his helper, the arrows are beyond you. And David knows uh, that it is not safe to come back. And um, let me just read a little bit of the, the text here. It says in verse 37, when the boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrow had fallen, Jonathan called out to him, isn't the arrow beyond you? Then he shouted, hurry, go quickly, don't stop. The boy picked up the arrow and returned to his master. The boy knew nothing about all this. Only Jonathan and David knew. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said, go carry them back to town. After the boy had gone, and here we are, the 
Um, this is the closing scene here, verses 41 and 42. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and he bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. They don't know if they're ever going to see each other again. This is, this is, this is, this is almost, a, in their mind, this could be a final farewell. And they had this incredibly close, tight, loving relationship. And Jonathan said to David, go in peace. For we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went back to the town. Well, that's just a quick flyby overview of 1 Samuel chapter 20. And Jonathan um, is um, sending the message to David, not safe to come back yet. Well, this morning, we want to, uh, the central storyline of this chapter is the deep committed friendship between Jonathan and David. And so I want to give you just three quick characteristics of, of what committed deep friendships look like. And by the way, this is what we all need in our lives. We need deep committed friendships. Um, and these types of friendships are, are um, y- you don't have more than one or two or three people maybe in your life that have this kind of friendship, um, of the, the friendship that Jonathan and David had. So, so very quickly, just three characteristics, and then we're going to conclude by applying this um, to our lives um, as well. Number one, a true friend is always willing to help in times of crisis. And this is the characteristic of a friend. And when Jonathan and David have this conversation and, and uh, David's frustrated and saying, why is your father trying to kill me? I've done him nothing wrong. What's Jonathan finally, how does he respond? He says, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. That's, that's, that's a friend, isn't it? He's basically saying to David, tell me I will do anything you ask me to do. The old saying is a friend in need is a friend indeed. And here is, is um, David needs a friend because his life is on the line. And God provided him with this friendship of David, uh, with Jonathan rather. And so um, that's the first characteristic of a friend. A true friend is always willing to help in time of need or crisis. Uh, Ecclesiastes 4, a very familiar passage, 9 through 12, is a passage that oftentimes is, is read at weddings and is applied to, to marriage, but it really has a broader uh, application about friendship. And the benefit of 2 verses 1, of, of trying to do life solo, trying to do life alone. And here's what Solomon writes, David's, David's son, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. 
But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. And if two lie together, they will keep warm. How can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Uh, we could break that down this morning but there, and, and talk about uh, friendship and some benefits of, of friends and helping us in a time of need. But a true friend helps in time of crisis. Number two, a true friend keeps his promises and his commitments. So David and Jonathan have these covenants, these promises that they make together. And uh, David promises that he will watch out for and care for Jonathan's extended family and the family of Saul. And if, if you're familiar with 2 Samuel and you fast forward and David's now the king, Saul's been killed in battle, and Jonathan's been killed in battle, and Saul is gone, Jonathan's gone, and David in 2 Samuel 9 says, are there any relatives of King Saul left? I made this promise to, 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 to Jonathan and, and they find out that there's a young boy by the name of Mephibosheth and, and he's got a handicap and he's, he's crippled and David finds him and he says, I'm going to show kindness to him and bring him to the king's table and he's going to be treated like one of the king's sons and he's going to eat at my table. David kept his promise and a true friend a true friend keeps their commitments and keeps their promises and number three a true friend is our defender a true friend is our defender we find this all throughout uh, first samuel and david's um, relationship with jonathan and king saul and it it became very complicated because King Saul's son is Jonathan and he's best friends with David and there's this little bit of a triangle here where Jonathan's father's trying to kill David. And and it's interesting how many times Jonathan goes to bat for David and and defends him, probably at the risk of his own life before his father. First Samuel nineteen verses four and five. Jonathan spoke well of David to his father and asked and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel. You saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? He's trying to persuade his father, leave David alone. You should be, you should be thankful for David risking his life and killing Goliath. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, uh, again, Jonathan goes to bat for, for David. And when David doesn't show up at this new moon feast, we find out that Saul is furious. He's, he's, he's mad. And, um, it says Saul's anger, um, when, when Jonathan tells him, you know, that David's not going to be here and why, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan and he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman, verse 30 of chapter 20, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. 
but send someone to bring him to me, he must die. Verse 32, why should he be put to death, Jonathan says. What has he done, Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. Not only did Saul try to spear David twice, he tries to kill his own son. He tries, he throws a spear at Jonathan. And that's how Jonathan knew not safe for, for David to come back. But, but what we want to see is that, that Jonathan was the defender of, of David. Um, maybe the phrase today is we need people who have our back, don't we? We need friends in our lives who, who will stand with us and that was the, and, and speak truth. And that was the kind of relationship that Jonathan and David had. Well, let me wrap this up because, um, there's, uh, an application here that I want us to see. And maybe it's obvious, but maybe it's not. But, uh, the scriptures say, you might be saying, man, I wish I had a friend like that. And we do need friends like that uh, to cultivate those types of friendships. But in Proverbs, it says there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And what I want to share this morning is to conclude that um, Jesus is the example of all three of those principles of a true friend. And so let's look at it as we we close this morning. Um, Jesus demonstrates and offers to us the same three characteristics of Jonathan and David's friendship. Number one, a willingness to help in times of crisis. If we've been saved for a long time, and I would be on that list because I came to Christ when I was eight years old, and that was a long time ago, and we've been walking with Jesus for a long time, one of the things we forget is what the Lord saved us from. We need to realize how desperate our situation was. Without Jesus, we were hopelessly and helplessly lost, and we were condemned to eternity forever, apart from God in a place the Bible calls hell. And there's nothing we could do to save ourselves. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his grace and mercy, he saved us. And so we go through the book of Romans. But God commendeth his love toward us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. He paid our sin debt. And now when we put our faith and trust in him, he delivers us from death to life, from darkness to light. Romans 8, 1, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We stand before God as uh, justified. Our, our legal standing before him is, is perfection because he doesn't see our sin. He sees the blood of Christ and he sees us as perfect in the righteousness of Christ. And so, uh, boy, do we, do we need a friend like Jesus, don't we? The world needs a friend like Jesus. And, uh, uh, God offers us the gift of salvation. And, um, I hope all of us here this morning have received that gift of eternal life. But that's not where the help stops, is it? Because, uh, as I've discovered and you've discovered, life is difficult. Life is challenging. And uh, uh, just because we know Jesus doesn't mean all our problems go away. 
In fact, sometimes coming to know Jesus means our problems increase. And so um, God doesn't just leave us alone, does he? Um, he? He's there to help us in our in our walk with God. Psalm 46, 1, God is our, our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. And someone once said we're either um, moving into a time of trouble, in a time of trouble, or we're coming out of a time of trouble, and uh, and that's the way life is. And so God offers us uh, help, doesn't he? What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. Um, Jesus is there to help us. Uh, the psalm we read this morning, Psalm 121.1, I lift my eyes up to my hills. Where does my help come from? The God of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth, he is my help. Hebrews chapter 4 uh, talks about uh, Jesus as being our, our helper and our intercessor. And um, Hebrews 4 is our great high priest. He says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who was tempted in every way just as we are, yet we did not sin. Jesus came and walked this world and he faced temptation. He got tired. He grew weary. And Satan tempted him three times in the wilderness there in Matthew chapter 4. He says he knows what it's like. And and so we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we might find what? Mercy and find grace, that strength to help us in our time of need. And so um, God doesn't just leave us out there to live the Christian life alone. And um, one of the one of the surefire ways of of um, danger in our Christian life is to try to do it in isolation and not be connected with a group of believers and not be encouraging one another, not be praying for one another. Um, God is our friend, and He is there to help us in our time of need. Just think of some of the names of God in the Old Testament. El Shaddai, He's the Lord God Almighty. El Ayan, He's the Most High God. Jehovah Rapha, He's the God who heals. Jehovah Jireh, He's the God who provides. Jehovah Shama, He's the God who is there. Jehovah Shalom, He is the God who is uh, peace. Jehovah Sabaoth, He is the Lord of hosts. So our friend Jesus is a true friend, and he's there in time of need. By the way, never sleeps, never slumbers. So it doesn't matter what time of that hour of need is. Uh, he is there, and he is waiting for us to call upon him. Secondly, um, God always keeps his promises. Now, that, was the, that was the key thing between Jonathan and David. They made these covenants. They made these promises, and they kept them. Uh, David even kept the promise long after uh, Jonathan had been killed in battle. And uh, that's the way Jesus is, isn't he? He he keeps his promises. We never have to wonder, is he going to come through? Now, we need to discern um, to whom the promise is given. Some are given to Israel. Some are given to the church. Some are given to us individually. We also need to determine, is this a promise that is conditional? In other words, do I need to do something? to experience this promise, or is it unconditional? A conditional promise, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. Stop worrying, okay? But here's your part. In everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, 
let your request be made known to God. Oh, this is a conditional promise. In other words, when I'm going through stress, when I'm going through difficulty, let me apply it personally. When you've got a grandson that's going to have some serious surgery, what do you do? Where do you go to for help? You go to God in prayer. And you lay it all before him. And then it says there's an incredible promise that says that the God of this universe will guard our hearts, that's our emotions, our minds in Christ Jesus. And we will experience what? The peace of God that passes all understanding. So God is a promise keeper. Uh, Titus 1-2 says God who cannot lie. Um, you know, the old trick question, are there some things God cannot do? Yes, here's one of them. God cannot lie because he's a truth teller and God always keeps his promise. Well, lastly, um, and then we'll be done here. The third, the third, uh, application of a true friend. He helps us in our time of need. He always keeps his promises. He's our defender. We would put it in today's lingo as we said, Jesus has our back. And just as Jonathan was was the defender of David before his father at the risk of his own life, God is our defender. Uh, let me just share a couple of Psalms in conclusion here. Psalm chapter 10, uh, verses 17 and 18. Listen to this. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed. God defends um, the fatherless and the oppressed. God is, God is their defender. He's our defender. Uh, who else does God defend? Psalm chapter 68 in verse 4 and 5, we read, Sing to the God, sing to praise, sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. He is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. He defends the widow. Is God in his holy dwelling? God sets the lonely in families. So he's a defender of of the fatherless, and he's a defender of the oppressed, and he's a defender of the widows. God loves to put the lonely in, in families. Psalm 62, verses 5 through 7. This is the Good News translation. The psalmist writes, I depend on God alone. I put my hope in him. He alone protects and saves me. He is my defender. I shall never be defeated. My salvation and honor depend on God. He is my strong protector and he is my shelter. And so just as God provided the future king of Israel, David, with a true, loyal friend by the name of Jonathan, a friend that helped him in his time of need, uh, a friend that kept his promises, a friend that defended him, um, we have a friend that offers the same to us. His name is Jesus, and he's provided salvation for us. He provides us resources to um, to live and walk the Christian life. He always keeps his promises, and he will defend us to the very end of our life. I trust you know him, 
And I trust you um, have that wonderful relationship with this friend called Jesus. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this story, this great story in the Bible about um, friendship. And Lord, um, Lord, I, I pray that you would just uh, remind us this morning of the importance of friends in our life. And Lord, uh, there may be somebody here this morning that um, desperately needs a friend. There may be somebody this morning that's feeling lonely, isolated, rejected. And this morning, they need a friend. And Lord, to that person, we say that we would we, we are here for you this morning. And we would love to just um, encourage you and pray for you. And... Uh, and, and offer the resources that Jesus has provided. Lord, thank you that um, you met us in our time of crisis and need. And Lord, thank you that you um, keep your promises. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. And thank you that you are our ultimate defender. And when Satan comes to the, uh, before God and he's the accuser of the brethren, thank you that we have an advocate his name is Jesus, and he says that those sins are paid in full if we know Jesus as our Savior. So thank you for our defender and friend. And Lord, we pray that you would encourage us this morning, um, not only with our relationship with one another, but um, uh, help us to walk closely with you today and in the days and weeks to come. In Jesus' name, amen.